listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, a podcast geared towards marketing professionals in higher education. This show will tackle all sorts of questions related to student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and so much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast, where we have conversations with higher ed professionals that we admire to learn from for you and for us. I'm Troy Singer, and I'm here with Bart Kaler, and we get to interview one of the people that we follow on LinkedIn that we're so impressed. He works both in the B2B space, but also in the higher marketer space. So, Bart, tell everyone a little bit about Dan Chez, Dan Sanchez. <laughs> yeah, so Dan Sanchez is, uh, is, is somebody that I met uh, recently through, a, uh, through another person. Um, and, uh, he, he does go by the hashtag Dan Chez on, on, uh, LinkedIn. And, uh, he's just a really fascinating guy. He's, um, he made a big impact for a very small school that I'm aware of. Uh, it's a small Bible college called Bethany Global University up in Minneapolis. And, um, and then I later learned that he, uh, also did B2B marketing through a podcast and actually full transparency, the company he's with Sweetfish Media produces this, the higher ed marketer podcast for us. And so we've been partners with them since late last year. And so, um, it's been great to kind of get to know Dan, but also to kind of know that origin story of the impact that he made at a very small, um, college and how the, the incredible growth that he was able to do through a lot of marketing on, on small budgets. And so a lot of what we'll talk about today is, you know, what that looked like and how that came about. He is one of the most interesting follows that you can have on LinkedIn, and we're so excited to have a conversation with him. So instead of just talking about how good he is, let's bring him into the conversation. Please help me welcome Dan Sanchez, Director of Audience Growth with Sweetfish Media, and also previously with Bethany Global University, to the Higher Ed Marketer podcast. Dan, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me on the show. Our pleasure. If you could give us a little bit about your background and what you currently do to help marketers like us, both outside of higher ed, uh, but within the B2B space as well. Certainly. So currently, I am the director of audience growth for Sweetfish Media, um, and it's a company focused on helping B2B brands uh, produce podcasts. I often just meet with a lot of customers and talk about how to grow a podcast audience specifically. Um, but before that, I was working at a higher education institution called Bethany Global University, where I was the marketing director for about six years. Um, and I started as a marketing department of one and grew. Uh, we Together, we were able to grow. This is not just me. It's always more, more than just one person. But me and the admissions team, you know, uh, were able to triple the enrollment of the university in a in a short amount of time. And a department grew from me to a department of about 24 to 25 people. Wow. You know, I thought I knew you and I follow you and have had conversations, but I didn't realize that you had the growth at Bethany International like you did. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and I must say that Bart and I utilize Sweet Fish Media to produce this podcast. So we we know your dynamics and we want to share it with our other brethren in higher ed marketing. Bart, 
Yeah, I appreciate you being here, Dan. And, and I just wanted to, I'm, I'm glad, Troy, you kind of made the transparency for everybody that, that uh, we do work with Sweetfish Media. But I think the reason that we are working with Sweetfish is kind of an interesting story, which brings us back to Bethany Global. Um, I do a lot of work with small Bible colleges and, and small faith-based institutions. And um, the director of admissions, Ken Freer, at uh, Bethany Global University, and I have been connected and we've attended several um, conferences together and have gotten to know each other pretty well um, through LinkedIn. And uh, and I know Ken is a really good friend of yours, Dan, and uh, that's really how the introduction happened is that as I was talking to Ken about some of his marketing and what was going on at, at BGU, he kind of talked about some of the success that you guys have had together when you were at BGU together. And, and when I looked you up and saw that you were with Sweetfish Media now, and I started looking into Sweetfish Media, and I saw, that, well, it's a podcast. That's pretty cool. And I think one thing led to another, and, and here we are on episode you know 28 or whatever of our podcast. And so, um, so but I wanted everybody on the, on the show to understand that it kind of came out of higher ed and then kind of went to the podcast and now we're coming full circle. And so it's, it's really great to be able to kind of talk about, you know, now that you and I have a relationship through Sweetfish to be able to talk about what you did at, at BGU, because I do think that made such a impact. And, uh, you know, some of the stats that you just talked about, obviously it's not a, it's not one person that does it. It's, um, and depending on where people are, there's credit for a lot of people. There's also, you know, divine intervention many times on, on, on these campuses. And so it, I think it's important to kind of talk about that. But one of the things I wanted to talk about was just where did you start with? I mean, you come on, you come on campus, you know, six, seven years ago. I don't know how long it was when you arrived, but um, you know, most very small schools and, and just to kind of put it in context, I mean, what, what's the, what's the enrollment at BGU? I think it's important for people to understand. I think it's currently at about 360 to 370. Okay. You know how that's always kind of going up and down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's pretty typical. That's, that's pretty typical of, of what I would consider small Bible colleges. I mean, it's a very specific, um, it's a very specific part of Christian higher education, part of ed, uh, higher education in general. But that's a, that's, a, that's a typical size of some of these smaller schools. And I think sometimes when you look at that, and I know that we've talked to people from Purdue and University of Kentucky and this is a different type of podcast today because, I mean, it's one thing when you have a student body of, you know, 55,000 people. It's another thing when you have a student body of 360. And so the, the challenges that come with going in scale down obviously comes with the, you know, how much money you have to spend. And I know a lot of people get very frustrated, whether you're, whether you're a marketing department at a large school or a marketing department at a small school. I so many times hear, boy, if we just had a little bit more money, we could do so much more. But you didn't have just a little bit more money. So tell us kind of what that was about, Dan, and how how that kind of informed you and, and what you did about that. Because obviously you didn't just sit by and say, oh, woe is me. Yep. I'm willing to share as many details and numbers as I could possibly remember. <laughs> um, I actually was working at a, an agency that I wasn't really happy in when Ken, uh, the guy you mentioned, was he got put in charge of marketing and admissions because he's kind of an operations guy. They're like, hey, Ken, you've run a call center before. Uh, we just laid off the admissions guy. You're in charge now. And he's like, okay. But he's kind of a go-get-it kind of person. So he calls one of the closest, one of the closer friends he has that he knows knows marketing, and that was me. But I was 26. <laughs> like, I wasn't that old, you know? I was right. kind of like, just starting in my career, but I was doing well in a marketing agency. And I just had just been acquired by another agency that was a shopper marketing agency, which is like the kind of stuff you do to sell more packaged uh, consumer goods at like Walmart and 
grocery stores and stuff. Not my favorite thing, <laughs> the direction that was heading. So naturally, a phone call turned to, you know, advice, turned to paid consulting, turned to freelance, turned to lots of freelance. And then I was like, okay, I think, I think I'd like to work there full time. So I had such a good time. So I actually did the whole website for them and uh, a little bit of branding work, not a lot, but it's just getting cleaning things up and helping them get back on track, running some AdWords. And then I came on full time. The budget at the time was probably, I was going to think somewhere around eighty to $90,000. And most of that went to Weber, which is like a poor school's way to like outsource financial aid. Right. <laughs> I think about half of it went to Weber. So there's not much left considering that, and that's not including salaries, that's just including budget. But then you have op, op, like some operational costs in there. Uh, printing brochures and advertising. I think my advertising budget was of $30,000 when I first started, which just isn't a big budget for a school. It is tiny, but they only had an incoming class the year before at um, 44 students, which is like so small. And even for an ABHE school, that's like low. That's like, we're not accredited yet. We're just starting in the accreditation process. And ABHE is like, we don't know if we want to give you accreditation because your enrollment's not looking good. They're like, yeah, but I, if we get accredited, enrollment will improve. They're like, eh, it's like a chicken and the egg problem, right? But that was my task. I came in, but I also saw an opportunity from the outside because they didn't know it, but they actually were sitting on a really good position because they're a school that was highly focused on just one degree. Just, and they only trained Christian missionaries and they had a way of doing it that was kind of unique. And I knew enough from my like working at other Christian nonprofits and having that kind of a background that there's, there's at least a few thousand people that are thinking about becoming an, that are an aspiring missionary. Like they want to figure out how to get to the mission field. I also knew that there's not really a clear path to get there. Like how does one become a missionary exactly? Like, even if you're listening to this and you're, you're, you're not a Christian, you're not in that camp. Like, how would you, like, how do you think people get there? Like, do they go to college? Do they just go, do they contact their pastor? Like what, what's the steps for that? Um, So I knew there would be a market for it they actually saw it at the time as it was too limited, right? And that's how a lot of small schools feel like, oh, if only we had more degree programs, we would attract a larger audience. I actually feel like it's the opposite. Um, By being more focused, you can actually create more momentum. And instead of just focusing sometimes in Bethany's case, instead of just focusing regionally, I went nationally because I knew I could just try to attract a very specific kind of person. So with a small budget, we actually focused at first on just real like not branding not even like large strategy stuff was just trying to craft the right value proposition trying to get the right message in front of just the right person which for us for the size of our budget and the kind of the so it's such a niche type of person you're trying to look for the only two mediums we could really find them on and it's still kind of a struggle to this day and I'll could talk about that later was google adwords people searching for it luckily there was some search volume for this and facebook we actually got really lucky that right about the time I was considering Facebook ads is right when they started putting ads in the newsfeed. And we took advantage that summer. Like it was only a few months after they first started doing that. And that's when Facebook ads really started to go crazy. We split tested things. We used lots of creative. We try to hone it in, run people to a landing page, get them to request a brochure. And then slowly but surely, we kind of built out the process for how to follow up with them in order to get them to apply and walk the rest of the way down the admissions funnel. But it was a really simple step. You're talking one landing page and digital ads, and then just trying to craft the message right. 
and trying to find the right person. The real secret sauce, though, is that they had a really clear mission and focus for the school, and it was easy to tie that focus to the right kind of person who had a very strong need for that kind of thing that wasn't well represented elsewhere. Right. So that was the advantage of Bethany. And I, I knew it coming in that all I had to do was kind of like dust it off and like figure out how to get it in front of the right people. Um, not all colleges have, I would say, have it that easy. It's not like it was easy. <laughs> it took work, but it was at least a clearer path. Yeah, but I do think it's important because I I constantly tell people this because when I ask them, well, tell me what's unique about your school, they say, well, we have small class sizes, we're faith-based, where you have community. I'm like, okay, that that separates you from, you know, one segment of higher education, but how does it segment you from every other school that can say the same thing? So I always try to really encourage people to really think about what are the distinctives that really we do better than anybody else. And whether that is, you know, preparing missionaries, whether that's you know, discipleship, whether it's just about the way that, you know, where they're located, the geography. I mean, how many, I'm working with a school right now that, you know, is literally on the uh, waterfront. I mean, they're on a, a big intercoastal waterfront and you can get in a boat from their campus and go out to the Atlantic Ocean. How many campuses can say that? And so we've got it. You've really got to figure out how to grow where you're planted. And I think that's really what you were leaning into. Yeah, we're in Minnesota, so hard to advertise that. <laughs> I played that down a lot. I wouldn't say Minnesota. I would say Minneapolis because it felt a little bit more metropolitan because people are like, isn't it cold up there? Like, uh, well, it, you know, it's only as cold as the the kind of jacket you wear. <laughs> it's, it's 72 indoors right now. So. cold weather, just bad, bad clothes, and we'll help you find this stuff when you get here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about, I mean, just tactically and, and practically, I mean, we try to be as pragmatic as we can here on the podcast, but I mean, tell me a little bit about, I mean, obviously you, you kind of, you're new, you're going in, you know, obviously Ken is a friend of yours, but at the same time you're going in and saying, Hey, I think we need to do this. I think we need to spend here. I think we need to start doing this. I mean, there was obviously some risk that was going to be taken because I mean, they weren't doing that before. And, uh, and how, how did you do that? I guess you know, a lot of people might say, okay, I, I buy what you're saying, Dan, I can get my head wrapped around that, but you know what? My boss isn't going to, isn't just going to say, oh yeah, let's just start jumping into this. Yep. I would try to find as many unique identifiers as possible. And I would go hunting for them from your students, um, over and over again. Like I would literally just try to go to students that are brand new. So the, the ones that haven't been in your university and haven't been indoctrinated, indoctrinated yet by why they show up, because they all start to sound the same once they've been there a while. Um, so finding people, and you could call them, like the people that are planning on coming or they're really close to showing up, you could call them. But I find I usually just like to talk to them on arrival day and on campus preview weekend. Those guys are gold. And then I ask them like, oh, like what's special? What's special about this place? What's special? Like what? why would you come here versus somewhere else? And I try to look for the common thread of what they're talking about, what the answers they give me are literally while I start testing out messages when I has um, later on in Facebook or on a landing page where I could split test. Okay, out of the five things that they're saying all the time that I think are actually pretty unique, or at least they're telling me are unique, um, which one? Which one's the top one? Which one should I put as the headline versus the other ones are supporting bullets or something like that? And I just test and test to figure out which one is the one that's the most attractive. So every school has something going for it. I mean, you're you're already a school. It's not like you're starting off as a startup and you have an unvalidated market. You have a market. You just, most schools would do well just to polish up what they have that's already good. And like Bart, like you were saying, sometimes it's the location. Sometimes you're in Colorado and what more do you need to say, you know? Right. Um, sometimes you're on an ocean. Sometimes it's the region. Sometimes you're on an old 
farm in the mountain somewhere that just has a rustic coolness to it. Sometimes you have a specialty program that's kind of unique and hitting that as hard as possible. That's, that's usually if, if other schools talk to me and a couple have come my way just because they want to figure out what BGU did to be successful. And this right. is usually the advice I'm giving is to help them find that thing. Um, tactically too, I've learned that there's this term in B2B that is not, at least I haven't, I never heard it in higher ed and I never heard it in the nonprofit world called marketing ops. Marketing ops is incredibly important. It's something we did really, really well at BGU. And that's one of the reasons why we were able to get so much done on such a small budget. Marketing ops is essentially the evolution of marketing automation. Marketing automation was the term a couple of years ago, but because marketing automations become so big, because marketing automations covered more than just marketing now, it's turned into marketing operations. I was really heavily involved in like the CRM and actually that, the whole CRM and what the call center uses and the admissions team even uses all the way up until they register as students was heavily influenced from marketing. In fact, I, I'm the one who picked the CRM and put it and actually started building it in place. And uh, originally it was just me building out even the workflows for all the call center to like follow up with uh, students on. And we used, we use actually use this small business CRM for small schools you can get away with it. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to use Populi for your CRM for marketing. If you're using something like Populi, let's be honest, Populi is made for student management. Right. It's not made for marketing. So find a, find a point where you can have a small business CRM that costs way less, but is still doable, even with a small, tiny budget and use it because it, small business CRM, CRMs and marketing automation platforms are actually highly capable of doing very real sophisticated uh, marketing campaigns like we used Infusionsoft and I highly recommend it. Infusionsoft is right. wonderful. Um, it's more, it's fairly robust for how much you pay for it, but even something like active campaign can almost do everything Infusionsoft can do. And actually it's arguably a little easier to use HubSpot's fine too, but I find the price tag on HubSpot substantially more than Infusionsoft. So it's kind of, if you're at the budget where like I was at like starting at 80,000 a year, yeah, it, Infusionsoft is just fine. You can always transfer things over later. Yeah, and we've been we've come across one called Lead Squared, which also is uh, is is you know it's got that marketing ops in it. It's the CRM and everything. And I've there's a lot of them out there. And I think it's just a matter of you know getting beyond the fact that okay, I can't afford Slate or I can't afford you know some of these big you know giant ones that you know Salesforce or other things. But they are out there. Small business CRMs and 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 uh, marketing ops. I think is a really good point. Dan, you kind of talked a little bit about, I want to go back just for a second on, um, you know, when you talked about the social proof, you know, being able to have these um, students come in on preview day or, or day one and, and just kind of give you a little bit of the the raw data that you kind of crafted some of your messaging. I have to believe that some of that too that they were providing to you was either seeds for content or or other elements within the marketing program. I mean, obviously you did more than just do messaging and, and pay-per-click ads. And I know that, you know, following you and some of the conversations that we've had, I know you're a big believer in content marketing. Talk a little bit about that because you, you might even kind of reference that blog that you and I talked about at once that, you know, that you've been building out with, a, I think it's a different organization, but the idea that you're ranking higher on that blog than maybe some ones that people would expect. So that was something that came in later I would say the tripling of the school, mainly like 80% of that really came off the back of like AdWords, Facebook ads, and just a well-crafted like conversion right. funnel, <laughs> like, like very Russell Brunson, Brunson kind of style funnel. 
Um, probably a little nicer than his as far as like how it looks though. Um, direct, direct marketing kind of stuff, but like with a little bit more brand and visual emphasis, cause we're talking about young people. So I don't want to look too direct marketing. Um, so that was most of it, but the whole time I knew that like, you don't want to depend only on like PPC to drive all your growth. Right. Because we were like search Facebook ads, referrals. I'm like, uh, if we lose Facebook ads, we're in trouble. And Facebook's, you know, Facebook's young and kind of reckless in my opinion. And honestly, like because of the stuff Apple's done now, that's like kind of dying out now. Like Facebook ads are not as nearly as effective as they used to be. So a couple of years ago, we started putting an initiative and putting an emphasis on search engine optimization. And I believe blogging can be a lot more than search engine optimization. It could be for social. It could be to answer frequently asked questions, write a good blog post about it. You know, have good testimonials for different questions for different stages of the funnel, funnel different types of people. Blog posts serve a lot of purpose and we did a lot of those. A lot of the people's favorite things, we would craft whole pages around and whole blog posts around if they were coming here because of our tuition paid program, you're right, at BGU, you don't pay tuition. Oh, it's very unique. Actually, that was, I had to bury that a little bit in the funnel because it was a little bit too good to be true for some people. So I had to let them discover that on their own because if I said that in an ad, they'd be like, I don't believe you. <laughs> they <bounce. laughs> It's like, no, it's true. You still pay room and board, but no, you don't pay tuition. So we did all that. But Yes, the SEO did start to pick up. And I actually learned SEO from mainly, I, I can't say one person, it's really two people, but one one company, one YouTube channel. When I discovered their model on how to do search engine optimization, which was kind of anti-backlink and really just produce the best content for the, the search uh, search queries, like our SEO game took off. And we got so good at it so fast that we did, we were publishing a ton of different blog posts on bethanygu.edu to rank for all the missions keywords. But I realized with a team of students, I could write blogs at a rate of 10 to 20 articles a week that were rank worthy. Um, and because of that, we're like, well, let's just start a whole new site. Uh, it's still a BGU site, but it's called justdisciple.com. And we started like hammering every Christian topic we could possibly find or think of. Now that site probably reached 250,000 page views this last month or maybe 260. But, and now I'm like having a vision to like, Oh, what does it take to get a million? Cause that's what we're shooting for now. <laughs> we had, we probably we're close to landing a grant so that I can hire a person to do nothing but focus on that website to take it there. That's kind of what we've used there. And, um, Oh, and to mention the, the person where I learned SEO from, and I would recommend anybody who like, if you want to learn SEO yourself, it's, they seem like two just dudes from Idaho figured out that you can do it without doing any backlinks or any offsite optimization. And uh, they're called income school. It's a YouTube channel. They do have a, like a fairly inexpensive program that they really just teach bloggers how to rank and how to make a income via blogging. Right. And it's probably the most reliable system I've seen. I actually tested it on a personal blog and now my personal blog even gets 20 K visits a month on the few blog posts that I've written there. But if you actually get a writer on it and start using their methodology, I even use it at Sweetfish. I even use it for customers now of Sweetfish Media who want to figure out how to craft good blogs that are rank worthy out of their podcasts. Um, it's really utilizing their methodology. They have a couple of different things that are unique to them compared to like most of the SEO people out there. And I find that it's actually just approachable and easier to implement than all the other SEO crazy stuff that's out there. So that's been a big deal to try to offset the traffic that we were dependent on from Facebook ads. We're trying to diversify that a bit. And we have a couple of different avenues we're doing that on like influencer marketing partnerships, but 
building up Just Disciple as a massive site that we could then, you know, nurture the relationship down to the ones who uh, want to go on mission trips to feed into BGU. That's great. What was the name of that uh, YouTube channel again? Income School. Okay, Income School. Thank you. And their website's IncomeSchool.com. It's a fantastic resource. Great. Well, I think that um, obviously this has been a really great conversation. One question I had, and I, I know the answer, but I wanted to kind of make sure that everybody else understands. I mean, you're a, you're a voracious reader, and I'm guessing that you do the same thing, not only you know with books, but also online and with YouTube videos and just you're consuming content all the time. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, how, how does that come about? And, and tell me about your kind of, uh, you know, your, your methodology on that. Cause I mean, obviously a lot of what you're doing, you have learned on the job to say per, per se from all these experts. Actually, my journey didn't start in college. I actually went right into a Christian internship and then just worked. <laughs> and yeah. then later went to community college and dropped out. Cause I just, I hated school, which is funny to say as a higher ed marketer, but I hated college. <laughs> I later went back to school, but if I would have gone to school right out of high school, I would have been an artist. And if I would have gone to school two years after going to school, I would have been a graphic designer. So I'm glad I actually waited and worked and found the thing that I really loved. And I really love marketing. I don't know what it is. It's just so flexible. There's so many applications for it. It's so helpful. It's so needed. It's also very profitable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But it's creative. It's fun. It's different from day to day. I get to work with people. I get to work with Uh, people on LinkedIn all the time and have podcasts like this with you guys here. It's so much fun. I can't believe I get paid to do this every day, you know? So I love, I fell in love with marketing and I, I found that because I hadn't gone to school, I had to learn how to learn marketing. And it started with me just asking for book recommendations, reading it and testing out stuff. And that became kind of the model. I would read a book in the evening or early mornings and then go test it out in the day job as I was moving into marketing slowly in my career, kind of started as the designer and worked into web design and then digital marketing and then just full on marketing. Um, And I found that I would just get really excited about one topic and then hammer it as much as possible in a short season, wake up really early for a couple of months in a row and read and then experiment during the day. Um, And it was different topics at different times. It started with like web building websites and then it went to AdWords and then it went to uh, conversion rate optimization. I started playing around with free tools there and some cheap paid tools um, I have a background in just working at nonprofits and startups, which are like always underfunded. So I never had a lot of money to go and learn, take massive classes or more than maybe, maybe if I was lucky, a thousand dollar conference and that's including like travel and stuff. So I never really had a lot of like expensive resources, but just through books and the amount of stuff that's online, you can learn just about anything. I was also benefit. I would suck dry. Any ment- any boss I had that knew more than I did, like right. I would also like get everything I can. I'm like, tell me everything you know. Like if they had a specialty in PR or media or anything, I'd also try to learn everything I could from each person I worked for or worked with. So I was just a vorac- voracious learner, even though I wasn't really a fan of higher ed. I did eventually go back to college and then earn my BS in marketing and my MBA, but that's great. it was only after learning the subjects and then I went back to school for it. <laughs> Took the test. <laughs> Very good. This has been great. Dan, we end each episode and you've given us so much, but if there is one piece of advice you would give maybe ABHE size schools similar to BGU that they could implement right away that you feel that could be very impactful, what advice would that be? I think the thing that made us successful is I was able to do a lot with a little because I didn't outsource much. 
And if you have to be really strategic, if you outsource a little bit, like you probably only have enough money to outsource one thing, outsource the thing that you're least competent in. And then everything else, you kind of have to like learn or become competent in. So outsource your, your thing that's the hardest for you. That's good. And then the next, probably I'd, whatever is like the best, like you're already leaning towards, like double down on that and learn everything you can about that. And then start to stair step and learn one thing at a time. Like you might not have enough time to do SEO, but do you already have a, a, a capability of testing out messaging? And I would get, if you want to write more and you're kind of already a wordsmithing kind of person, then you should explore conversion rate optimization. It's probably the single biggest thing you could start doing with your website to increase your leads, you know, and that's where you split test your, even your homepage to see which one gets a bigger, a better bounce rate, having running all your ads and things to a single landing page. So you can actually test what you should be saying, because you can find out and learn faster there what's actually working than random pages on your website. If you drive everybody to a singular page where the only thing they can do is request a brochure. And I do recommend specifically the call to action for any higher ed institution should be the request the brochure. I've tried out a bunch of different things. I don't know what it is. People like to get the brochure in the mail. And that's just another touch point that you can like follow up with them with. But I always ask for email, phone number, brochure, first name, last name, undergrad, grad, and what their high school graduation date is. I've worked with a lot of different fields. That is the money right there was for us. And if I started at a new school today, those are the exact things I would ask again, because with that, you kind of have enough data to get going. And then you can figure out the rest later on. I would also stop spending money at trade shows. I don't know. I've not seen one college. It's like, yeah, we're killing it. Okay, I take it back. I can think of one college that has killed it with a trade show. (laughs) And it's only because they're big, they have a big budget, and they dominate the trade show, not only with the biggest booth, but they have all their professors out in the like, in the sessions. And that's Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City. I know they're killing it through that. So they can they can afford to do a whole takeover of a conference and get all their people out there so they can influence the pastors who are the ones who recommend where to go for seminary. But in in for most ABHE schools, I feel like you really have to learn how to move on to digital. I don't, I don't understand if you just do a cost analysis on trade shows and just show like how much you spent on it versus how many leads you get, then you have your cost per acquisition for lead. And it's usually outrageous, yeah. like just outrageous. <laughs> and even if you're bad at Facebook ads, it's even if with as, as not great as Facebook ads currently is, you're probably going to get a better conversion rate than that. Even in the beginning, you might also try Pinterest. Pinterest yeah. is actually not bad. Yeah. <laughs> I think you just led into the next topic for when we have you back on the podcast. Thank you so much, Dan. And I think you're an excellent follow. How do you prefer people to either contact you or where can they follow you? LinkedIn all day, every day. I'm very active on LinkedIn, which is how the three of us started really talking, right? So go to linkedin.com slash IN slash digital marketing Dan, and you'll find me there. Shoot me a connection request. I'd love to connect. Yeah, and your hashtag Danchez, I think, is another one that they could follow. Danchez. Yep. You can follow the hashtag. I'm like, I'm working on Danchez.com. It's coming soon. <laughs> Very good. Love it. Love it. Thanks again, Dan. Bart, any parting words from you? Yeah, I just think that um I think a lot of what Dan has talked about has been so applicable to just about any size school. I mean, I think a lot of what he said was specific to Association of Biblical Higher Education, the ABHE that we've been referring to, those small Bible schools and seminaries. But I think a lot of what Dan said is also applicable to, you know, a marketing department at a major, you know, university, public university. I think there's a lot of things that 
figure out what's going on, test, 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 understand your particular market, and also understand what's distinctive about you that's going to move the needle. And I think all those things are really applicable to just about anyone. And so I would just uh, just really kind of encourage you to take a look at that as well as be just that lifelong learner. I think that we all know that marketing moves at the speed of light right now. And so the more you can learn, the more you can pay attention and the more that you can kind of lean in and, and kind of see what other people are talking about. I mean, that's one of the reasons I really like to follow Dan on LinkedIn with his with his comments that he's so generous to do on a daily basis is that I'm seeing things that maybe I didn't know about. I'm learning things that I didn't understand. And uh, we've got to do that together these days because the idea of being able to either you know go take a class on something um, is those days are gone. And so we've got to kind of take control of our own learning and figure out things and, and uh, lean into that. So those are just a couple of thoughts I have, Troy. Thank you, Bart. Well said. This was an excellent conversation. This podcast, The Higher Ed Marketer, is sponsored by Kaler Solutions, an education, marketing, and branding agency, and by Think Patented, a marketing execution, printing, and mailing provider of higher ed solutions. On behalf of Bart and myself, Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to leave a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.